Hi, welcome to Stammer Stories. My name is William Lovin and I'm your host and founder of this podcast. In this podcast, we talk about stammering from all perspectives. I'll be talking to people who stammer, people who work in the stammering field and people who have a genuine interest in the topic. And today I am joined by a second in, in, in international guest on the podcast, James. So welcome to the podcast, James. Thank you for having me, William. So James has, has accomplished lots of amazing stuff with his stammer over the last few years and I'll be asking questions about what he's done but also we'll just be talking about his stammer in general but also how stammering's different how like the different setups are different from the UK and the USA so James can you introduce yourself and tell the viewers what you do for a living yes yeah, so I live in uh, New Orleans Louisiana in the states um, and I am an HLA t- technologist uh, for one of the, not, for one of the largest health systems um, in a, in the, in in the, the southeastern uh, region of the states. And uh, what an HLA t- technologist does is receive a potential organ donor and a potential organ recipient are uh, compatible as well as tests for different diseases, such as celiac disease and uh, deceased donor typing. And I'm also a writer on the side and I'm a person who stutters. Wow, that's really, your job sounds fascinating. It, it sounds far more in, in, interesting than my job for sure. Then I definitely hope my team don't pick me off on so much because I know that they listen to this podcast, so I'm sorry team. But so I'd, First, like to talk about like the difference between stammering and stutter. So over here in, in the UK, it's mainly called stammer, and I've only really been told that it's a stammer. But when I've been talking to people from the states, it's more stutter. Do you know why? What the difference between between stammer and stutter is? So as far as I'm concerned, it's the same thing, just yeah. a, a different word, because. Uh, you know, growing up in the states, I always referred to I I I refer to it and always heard it referred to as you know stuttering. I did not know that, that stammer was a word or or, or that it, it was a synonym for stuttering until I got more involved within the the the, the stuttering world about four or five years ago. Well, and I, I, I was talking to someone the other day about it, actually, and he was sort of saying how maybe it's sort of like certain terms for, like, a disabilities a change over the time to make it sound better. And, like, they were saying how it could mean stammer, stutter, then a disfluency. Like, there's different terms and they all sort of mean the same thing, but I see it as a cultural thing, like, Stammer is the British Stammering Association, and like um, actual stammering children who I'm a part of, their uh, stammering children. And I just find it really interesting because it's actually a question that I get asked quite a lot. And like sometimes people think that they could be offending me if they say stuttering rather than stammering, which I don't really get. I'm like, it, it, well, it's the same thing. But I would love to talk to you about your stammer. When did you first realize you had one? But also, how was it at a young age? Yeah, so my journey with stuttering, it's been an interesting one. 
So according to my parents, I first started to stutter around the age of three, four years old. And uh, it came out of uh, when I first uh, began talking, I would say a lot of stuff and you couldn't understand me. And then over time that turned into stuttering. Uh, so I started to go to speech therapy when I was about five years old or so. And I went from uh, age of five till 11, 12 years old. Uh, and in the beginning, it was pretty se severe. I remember I went to speech therapy like three times a week for two, and uh, two different speech therapists from all the ages of six to eight, nine years old. Like it was that intense, that severe. But I really don't remember being told I was a person who stutters. I think it was just like one of those things that I picked up on over time. Uh, I, like, I knew I talked different than the rest of the kids in my class. And I knew I got to leave class early and go to this other place where I would work on my speech. But I don't remember like if or when I, I was told like, hey, 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 James, you stutter. This is what it means. But I guess I picked up on it around 10, 11, 12 years old. And at the age of 11 or 12, I stopped going to speech therapy. I was, you know, normal. I used the word normal in quotes. Uh, you could not tell I was a person who stutters, nor did I, did I consider myself one. And I just figured that stuttering, uh, th th that I grew out of it and just studying was that was uh, the friend that didn't survive the transition from, el from elementary school into high school. So bulk of my high school career, I did not identify as a person who like stutters. And most people did not know that I had a history with you know stuttering. There were one or two instances where I remember stuttering during my, uh, my high school career, but for the most part, I just thought it was a thing of the past. Uh, that all changed my senior year of high school when uh, my stuttering returned and my parents and I just kind of figured it was the nerves and excitement about graduating from high school. I was going out of state for college where I would know only three, four, five people. But once I got acclimated to my new surroundings, stuttering would disappear, life would continue on. Clearly that didn't happen because we're having this conversation 10 and a half years after the fact. So we're here, we're having this conversation. And my first years of college, uh, stuttering was that embarrassing friend from home that everyone knew about, uh, but no one really acknowledged. And if you brought it up to me, I told you off. Like, I'm not proud of that, but that's the way that I was able to handle it back then because I wasn't okay with this part of myself. So why, why, would, why would I want to talk about it with others? But the only time I did talk about it was with my parents. And it was in the context of, hey, James, you need to go to speech therapy. Or you need to see what, you, what your school can offer in terms of speech therapy. And being the good son I am, I'd say, sure, mom and dad, I'll get to that when pigs fly and hell freezes over. Uh, needless to say, not something I wanted to do uh, during my college career. Uh, that all changed. Uh, spring break of my sophomore year, I had a conversation with my uncle, and he said, you need to see what some of this has to offer in terms of speech therapy. So I sent the, uh, I got back from spring break, sent the speech and here in department an email, hoping that there was nothing that they could do. 
I could say, at least I tried and I could move on with my life. Um, fortunately then, fortunately now, but unfortunately then, I got the answer that I needed, not the answer that I wanted, which was you could begin speech therapy in the fall. So fall of 2013, 20 years old, back in speech therapy. To say I had to swallow a bunch of pride would be a massive understatement. But looking back, I can say it's one of the best things I've ever done. Like, yes, I learned and relearned different uh, techniques to reduce my stutter. But more importantly, I had conversations and I actually talked about studying for the first time. And it was through those conversations that led me to believe that stuttering isn't the worst thing on the planet and helped me start to accept this part myself. I haven't been to speech therapy in six and a half years. I stopped when I graduated, when I graduated college back in uh, spring of 2015. Haven't been back since, but I'm very active in the stuttering community. And I don't think I would be where I am today in terms of being okay with this part of myself, accepting it and embracing it and wanting to talk about it if it wasn't for going back to speech therapy as a college student. I know that's that's a lot of information to process, but that is my journey in the shortest amount of time possible. Wow. Uh, and it's you're sort of a first guest, really. You sort of had a very similar experience in terms of the routine of speech therapy. Like I had speech therapy for the first 10 years or for my life every week without fail like that was just what I knew life was was going to speech therapy every Tuesday it was saying somewhere I clearly remember the room that I went to speech therapy and Candace Candace have vivid vivid memories and then when I went to secondary school which is your high school we sort of they were like oh you're at that stage where you don't need speech therapy now you're sort of by yourself and I went to a school with people who were learning difficulties with a school of 70 students and I, I was with some other people who stammered, so I was like, okay, this is great. Like, I felt comfortable, my stammer was good, it was getting better. And then I joined a college with 4,000 students, which caused my stammer to basically go through the route because the anxiety, but also not being with other, not knowing that these strangers who I was going to be with and that's when I got referred to the Michael Palin Centre, which is a two-week intense course. And that course changed my life. I say it every single time. It changed my life because it taught me techniques about my stammer in, in young adulthood and adulthood. But also, it taught me what is what stammering really is, which is what I needed to hear, rather than a struggle that I was going through. They need someone needed to tell me I've realized now that it's a good thing like it's not a bad thing does certain people have it and then I've not had speech therapy since and that was five six years ago and before my stammer was quite severe and now I'm nearly at the stage of being a covert stammer I personally think so which is amazing from where I was before but it just shows how much speech therapy can change your life but I think it is tough because you sort of, like you said, you don't want to take in, like you don't want to go back to speech therapy when you're older because you feel like you're going back a stage where yes. you want to grow and grow. However, that taking back a stage will take you three stages further. It will sort of fast track you to the next few stages because it has helped you grow with your stammer, but also your heads, your mindset towards it. And do you remember, do you still use some of the techniques that you got taught 
in speech therapy now in your everyday life? So I, I sometimes do, uh, the main one being easy onset. And that's usually if I am, if, if I'm, I'm talking or if I'm presenting and I know in order to move on to the next thing I need to say, you know, my piece, I'll do it then. But otherwise, I really don't. Um, I've come to learn that stuttering isn't this like terrible thing, which is one of the many things that make me uniquely me. And it's my most authentic self when I stutter. And my voice is worth being heard. And if you have an issue with me taking an extra five, 10 seconds to say my name on my coffee order, then that's on you and, and not on me. Yeah. And like that's the biggest motto is just to people who are struggling when you stand, just own it and like own it straight fit. And like, don't care what those other people think. Like, if you're taking a few more seconds to order your drink, or like you're at a restaurant and you can't say your order, or like at the train station, you can't all say what station you're going to. Don't worry mm-hmm. about you give yourself as much time as you need to say because it makes you comfortable. And but we'll talk about that side of stuttering in more detail further on because I'd love to get your thoughts on the stigma of the topic. However, sadly, everyone who stammers goes through some sort of bullying or like some quite sad times and like some quite sad experiences. However, we've all learned from those experiences and we've all grown from them. Can you tell me a time where you struggled with your stammer, but also how you overcame that situation? Yeah, so I guess back to what you said about like everyone is is on their own journey and everyone's going to view their start differently and there's all great journeys uh yeah bullying i've been bullied a, a couple times in, in, you know growing up but i was with the same group of kids for the most part from pre-k through seventh grade and then uh and then my, my high school career so after a while they just kind of knew oh this is james this, this is how he talks it wasn't that big of a deal but to answer your question i don't like, yeah, I could say there were times where I bullied and I had like ov- overcome that. I think over for me, I had like overcome, I guess, like the self-doubt and the embarrassment and the fear of stuttering and the and the self-consciousness of it and the, the self-doubt and to overcome all like the stigmas associated with stuttering in order to be better in a, in a better place in terms of stuttering. Because if I didn't overcome all of those stigmas and taboos and all of the negatives associated with stuttering, we're not having this conversation right now. Yeah, like it is really interesting. Like everyone has different experiences. And like some people try to hide it more. Like they try and hide their stammer more. But also it's, you just learn from different situations like Sometimes it's easier talking to someone who stammers to talk about experiences because they know how those situations really feel, yes. which I don't think, like, if you said to someone who doesn't stammer, I find it really hard saying my name at Starbucks when they ask me what my name is, to the normal person will think, what are you want about? However, mm-hmm. for someone with a stammer who may struggle saying their name, those two seconds is a really hard two seconds because you want to say it and like especially when you're in public like mine 
so I sometimes have a blockage, not blockage, but saying hi or morning. Like if it catches me by surprise, by the time like if someone goes, oh morning, I'm like, and then nothing comes out. And then by, they've walked off and I think they must have thought because I was so rude, but actually they would have known that I was stammering. But that four of those like, and like literally it just doesn't come out. And like you're thinking about it for ages beforehand if you see that person walking towards you. And, and it's just such an odd thing that you can't really explain to someone who doesn't. St- do you do you have that feeling sometimes? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, it, like what I love about being involved in like the stuttering world is you're with people that get it. Like yeah. I didn't meet another person stars until I was 22 years old. Wow. And so it's like, okay, you get it. Like you get how I can have a rough conversation on the phone with the insurance company or, or I was ordering at Starbucks and I blocked on my name and that really sucked. Like you get it. Cause if you don't stutter, you can empathize, you can understand, but you really don't get it. Yeah. So yeah. And and like just like ordering it at Starbucks, all you gotta do go up there, say I wanna you know, whatever, whatever. And then you ask, ask for your name. But there's the main things are going, okay. Well, I know that there's five other people behind me in line. So that puts pressure because I need to say my order in order for them to be helped. And then do I order what I can say or do I order what I want? Because those could be two different things at times. And then okay. I'm going to to, to say James, but I'm probably going to block on James, but I'm still going to to, to say my name. So I got to make sure that the the barista knows what's going on. And if they give me like weird look, I need to assure them like, hey, it's okay. I stuttered, nothing bad's happening. And just like all the mental gymnastics that we have to go through just to order a simple cup of coffee at Starbucks that unless you, if you don't stutter, you, you never think about. Yeah. And I, I, well, the amount of times that I've, like I say, oh, someone say your name, they write your, they get your name wrong. I'm like, they have more, like, some, oh, I've had all sorts. So when I went to New York last year, I went to Starbucks and I rarely stammered saying my name, but I think it was jet lag and mm-hmm. I stammered saying my name. And some reason, some reason they just thought I said Jason from uh, uh, so I, but I luckily I saw them write down Jason and I wrote my order so I knew what to listen out for but if I hadn't yeah. seen them write it down I would have thought Jason who who's that and I but somehow William came across as Jason because of my stammer oh. I have no idea but it must be jet lag or something or the accent that I yeah but thank God I saw them write down Jason because I would have been waiting for ages just for them to say out this order. Be like, no, oh, like it, yeah. when, when I saw, I was like, why have they written down Jason? I was like, ah, I know exactly what has happened there. And then it made me laugh because I was like, well, that's the first that one. Like I've yeah. had Wilhelm, I've had Willie, I've had all sorts like. It cracks me up sometimes. You sort of just want to know how they're going to say it sometimes. Just, but like Jason was the weirdest one, I tell you. But I'd love to talk to you about your job. And also, can you explain what you do in further detail, but also how your stammer affects you in your daily life? Yeah. So I mentioned 
of my job uh, in, in, in my intro segment. Um, so I work with what 10 other people. It's a very small lab and pretty much everyone knows I stutter. It's, it's no big secret. Um, it is what it is. And for the most part, everyone's really good at not finishing my sentences for me, which is like my biggest pet peeve as a person who stutters is when someone tries to finish my sentences. Yeah. Uh, And then I am on the phone because what you're telling me when you try to finish my sentence is that my voice isn't worth those extra six, eight, 12, 20 seconds, whatever it is. And then if you're right, then awesome, cool. But if you're wrong, then then you look like an idiot and you still didn't give me those extra time. But uh, I, I do have to talk on the phone a good bit for my job, just calling different doctors, either with results or asking to, to put this test in or seeing, hey, you ordered the wrong test or what's going on, just talking to different doctors and nurses about what's going on or uh, procuring people just to confirm, hey, we're doing this transplant with this donor and this patient, correct? Okay, cool. And for the most part, I talk to the same group of, group of people. It's the same set of doctors, nurses and procurement and so they all know I, I'm a person who stutters. Uh, I've been there for close to four years now, and it's not that big of a deal. Every once in a while, I'll get a nurse that I'm, that I'm not familiar with, and they may say something, and I'll just say, oh, a person who stutters, this is what's going on. And I go, oh, okay, cool. And we move on with our lives. But for the most part, it hasn't been that big of a deal, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. Um, and do you stammer, like, do you find, say, like, picking up the phone hard? Do you find, do you find like, picking up the phone difficult? Like, sometimes I find hello quite hard. Um, I mean, especially if it catches me off guard. Like, if an unknown number calls me, like, oh, no. And, like, but I've now found the going, oh, um, William speaking, or morning or like and now we'll try and find a different way do you find that yes so i find phones are probably like where i where i like tend to study the, 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 the most is during a during a, a like phone conversation just for whatever reason like phones and me haven't gotten along for years and yeah for the, the longest time i would say yes when picking up a phone, whether it was an unknown number or my mom or a friend, I would say yes or yo. And I, I still do that sometimes, just if, if it's a like good friend call me like, yo, what's up, man? Uh, but I would say yes, not because it makes sense. You can pick up the phone and say yes. That doesn't make sense. But because it's what I could say, like, <sighs> I love what always trip me up. Like H is tripped me up yeah that that's my sound and i used to be, be mad about it but now i kind of laugh at it because h is like a big part of my life my last name is um i work in hla you're into the phone with hello uh i went to school in hattiesburg mississippi the main street in hattiesburg is hardy street um, in high school, the place I worked at during, when I was in high school, that street began with an H. My apartment complex in, in college began with an H. It's just one of those things like I couldn't avoid H. 
<laughs> and so I just laugh at it now. I find it funny. Like the sound I have the most difficulty with is the one I have to use the most often. It's just funny to me at this point. That's so funny. Like mine are A's, H's, but sometimes I's trip me up. Like hmm. I, I sometimes trip me up, but I never know. Like the thing is, people sometimes get surprised if you tell them that you stammer, but then you don't stammer. I mean, it confuses them, but we don't know when we go and stammer. Like I, I would love to know when I was going to stammer, but sometimes you just never know. But I would also love to talk to you and tell and tell the viewers that you've written a book, which is yes. pretty impressive. Um, can you, which is about stammering, uh, could you tell me more about your book and what's it about? Yeah, so my book is Dear World, I Stutter. It's a series of 25 open letters to people that have been or will be on my journey with stuttering. I write to my younger self, my parents, uh, my future self, my sister, my speech therapist, my future speech therapist, coworkers, friends, uh, to, to my stutter, uh, to my future wife, future kids, and plenty more. Uh, so it started, it came out of probably the worst time it, uh, in my life. I was at the, I was at a job uh, before the one that I'm currently at, which was my dream job. It's the one I went to school for. It's the one I think I wanted to do ever since I was in high school. And it just was not a good fit for me. I, I wasn't happy there. It wasn't a good fit. And about after about a year and a half there, I was like, okay, now what? I knew whatever I was going to do had to involve happiness in, in some way because I was anything but happy at that job. So this was in uh, February of 2017, uh, in, the, like, in the midst of my quarter life crisis, trying to figure out what I was going to do, uh, 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 I'll do with myself. And during, uh, at that time, I, I, I did an open house panel with the local, you know, stuttering support group. And I guest lectured to the fluency class at, at my local university. And through those two experiences, I realized that I liked talking about stuttering, which is ironic. Because for so long, that was the one topic I did not want to talk about. And now it was the topic that I wanted to talk about. So I decided, well, let me just get my story out there and see what happens. Like, well, at least try, maybe I can make a, make a career out of this. Uh, so in April of 2017, I submitted just my general story with, with stuttering up, up to that point to the site called The Mighty. It got picked up um, and I got good feedback on it. And I realized that writing about stuttering was cathartic for me. So I just wrote some more stuff, got picked up by The Mighty and the, the, the Stuttering Foundation in the States. And, you know, got more good feedback. And I realized that a lot of the topics that I wanted to talk about uh, could be done in the form of an open letter. 
So I started just to to write these open letters, and I I, I didn't publish them, but I just I, I wrote them just in the event of like maybe one day, five ten years down the road, I could possibly maybe do a book. Like writing a book was never on the bucket list. So a lot of uh, the summer of 2017 was me writing to get my name out there and then writing stuff for this <sighs> hypothetical book that may or may not happen five, 10 years down the line. Uh, summer, so summer and fall of 17 was a lot of just writing and, and ed editing stuff and then working on this book, thinking of title, editing stuff, putting stuff in order. That may probably never happen, but we'll see if it does, at least at least it's there. And then in October 19th of 2017, I left that job with no backup plan whatsoever, um, moved back in with my parents. So I was, what was I, 24, two, almost two and a half years out of college with like nothing going on in my life. Like the biggest decision of my day was, you know, what TV show do I want to watch today? That was like the most difficult thing I, 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 I to think about. So I figured, why not? Let me work on this book. I have nothing going on with my life. And maybe this could, you know, jumpstart a new career for me. And I figured, let me, let me go for it. If it works, awesome. If it doesn't, then I can say at least I tried. And I'm not 50 years old thinking, well, what if? What if I tried? So I spent the next six weeks or so just writing, editing, formatting, writing, editing, formatting, writing, editing, and formatting the book. And then I self-published it uh, through Amazon's uh, Create Space program on Monday, December 4th, 2017. And it's been a little more than four years. And a lot of the opportunities that I thought would possibly happen like 15 years uh, down the road uh, happened like a lot sooner for me. Um, I know I've been told it's made an impact in the lives of people who like stutter. And for me, that's what this is about. That's what's worth it. That's why I did this. And everything else that, that I, I've gotten from this book is just gravy. Wow, that's just so inspiring. And was it tough writing the letters, like doing an open letter? Like, did you find, did you realize, did you learn a lot about yourself when you were writing those letters, but also how your stammer actually made you feel about certain things towards certain people? That's a great question. But yeah, they were there were some difficult ones to write, uh, especially to like my ten year old self. Like, did I really did I feel that way at the age of ten, or am I just impo uh, imposing my view as a twenty four year old stuttering onto my ten year old self? That kind of stuff. Uh, there were things that I thought I made peace with that happened to me at the age of eleven, and I would write it's like, no, I I have not made peace with this, and. Through writing that letter, it was cathartic, and I was able to make peace with with those situations. And then there there were some letters that involved uh, people in my life, and some of those were 
hard to write because it wasn't always good stuff. And that impacted those relationships and those friendships. And there's some people who were not as good as friends as we were before the book. And that really sucks. And that, and that hurts. And there's like a couple letters in there that I had to second guess myself, like up until publishing, like, is this worth being in here? But ultimately I decided to put them because I, my thought process was if I'm being as honest and as vulnerable as I say, I'm being in this book, these letters need to be in here. But yeah, it was difficult on like a lot of levels. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. And I, whenever I write some articles about my stammer and like working with stammer, like how life's been, you do always just second guess yourself whenever you just press up publish because you think, am I being too open or am I telling too much or am I putting a message out there that other people may not be able to relate to. And it's blown me away by the response of just like people going, thank you for this. And like you think, this is just what I'm going through. You think of how many other people out there are going through that same thing and how many people you are helping understand the situation. So I'm very jealous of one, because you've accomplished one of my life goals in and everyone who I've talked to on, on a regular basis knows that this is on my goal list for 2022, and which is doing a TED Talk, and you've done one. Can you just tell me a bit more about what, also what advice you would have for me for wanting to do a TED Talk? Yeah, so before we get into that, something you just said about... Uh, about about you know writing you don't realize that people are relating to it and you feel like if you're being too honest something that i do is like i forget that people are going to read this stuff like i just put it all out there yeah and then i hit submit and then it's like oh yeah people are going to read this people from all over the world are, are going to read this and then they may relate to it but i just write as if i'm writing for an audience of one and it just so happens that it got it, it got it got put it got put out there. So when I write, like I'm not afraid to be honest and real. Because if I'm not honest and real, then why am I doing this? That's kind of my mentality. But to get back to your question about Ted, so you know, Ted was a journey. Um, I it started in a June of 2018. And I looked at my uh, I, 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 my best friend. Uh, we were um, at a summer camp that we used to work at. We were there you know, visiting for the day. And I look at him and I say, I'm going to give a TED Talk one day. He's like, okay, cool, man, do it. Like, and so I, I got home, I pulled up uh, the TED website and I had the application open for a very long time it was like like it, it was always an open tab on my laptop was the application to to pitch in an idea you know for ted for the main stage and i would go to it and i would start filling out the application but then my self-doubt and insecurities and fear would say james you know, what I did, you have worth spreading. You don't have anything special. Like, this isn't worth it. You're not going to get it. 
and then why bother? This is a, this is a like waste of time. And I would listen to that self-doubt and that insecurity and that fear. And that's how it was for like eight months. And then I got an email like early 2000, 2019 uh, that the company that I currently work for, uh, they were starting up a TEDx and they were looking for speakers. And I thought, whole oh, crap, like this is my opportunity. So once again, pull up the application and those same doubts and fears and insecurities you know, greeted me with that application. And there was something like, what idea do you have for spreading? They're not gonna pick you. If you don't have any good ideas, why are you gonna do this? And that I listened to that and I was on the fence for a very long time about doing it. And then maybe like a week or so before the applications were due, I had a chance meeting with one of the organizers of the event. I gave him my pitch and he said, I can't promise you anything, but, but go for it. So I was like, okay. Like if one of like the main guys says it's like a somewhat decent idea, let's just do it. You know, he could be nice. To, he could be saying that just to be nice, which, which I've known him now for three years. And, and, and he wasn't saying that to, to be nice. But at the time, this was my first meeting. I just figured he's just being nice. Once I get people into, into the thing, let me just, let me just do it. So that, this was in February. Uh, I applied and then I think I had like a phone interview, maybe like a week and a half later. And I did the phone interview, but I didn't think it went that great. I was like, ah, I didn't get it. It's okay. Uh, 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 there's always next year. So then I find out that I made it to the next round of interviews. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, that was a pit. I had to do like, so 15 minute interview had to, to pitch my, up my talk again and give them a three minute synopsis of my talk. So I did that once again, thought, absolutely absolutely nothing of it. It's like, I didn't get it. I didn't do well. There's always next year. And then in April, I got an email saying, you're one of the 12. And I, and I freaked the hell out because I did not believe it. It's like, why me? Like, like no, like this, this is weird. So, uh, and also with that email, I was excited, but then I had to convince myself that they were selecting me for my idea and not because the fact of a person who, who stutters adds a diversity to the event. It was like convincing myself like, no, like you're here because you, you deserve to be here, not because it makes the program look special by having a person who stutters on the stage. That was like a big thing I had to, 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 to get over. So like a week after getting the email, uh, this was early May. We had a two-day workshop where all 12 of the speakers met. We met, we met with our speaker coaches and we had two intense days of, of learning how to speak in the TED way because a TED talk is very different than any other talk you will ever give. It's a very unique style and brand and way that you have to do it. So I took like everything I had threw it out the window and 
and just restarted. And after that first day, I was like, I do not belong here. I am in over my head. Like, like I, why am I here? This, uh, 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 my talk is terrible compared to like everyone else's talk. Found out the next morning, everyone else was, was feeling the exact same way that we're all like, what did we get ourselves into? But by the second day, I felt, you know, comfortable with my talk, with what I was doing. And it's like, okay, maybe I do deserve to be here and I belong on this stage. So this was in May. Uh, the speech was June 12th, was the, the big event. So over those next five, six weeks, it was just me working on my speech, working on the, you know, working with the coaches and, you know, memorizing my talk. Like I would be in the lab and I would say, like, I'm like, no, when was the last time your biggest vulnerability introduced yourself? Like I would say that, that like in my sleep, I would say that as I'm driving to work, as I'm on the bench doing stuff, like I would repeat my talk to myself just so I could, ha just so I had it down that I, I knew on my talk, like, and I had it drilled into me. So did that for six weeks. Uh, and then June 12th comes our big day. And I was the final person before lunch. So you had a, a set of three, a break, a, a set of three, lunch, and I was the final person in that second set. Couldn't tell you what happened in the morning. Like I was just a bundle of nerves and anxiety and excitement and just trying to go into like, I'm doing a bucket list item. This is gonna be, this, this, this is gonna be intense. So the, the first part of the day, I'm trying to enjoy it, trying to you know, calm myself down, trying to just relax. None of that was working. So during that first break, they bring us backstage, we get mic'd up and I have to go sit in like a different area just so I could use a relaxation a, a, a technique that I learned in speech therapy that I hadn't used in years, but just to calm myself down because I was just that into it and excited and hyped and terrified, sheer terror and nervous. Uh, the guy before me couldn't tell you what he said. Like I, I, I went back and, and just to watch his talk. So it was him, they did a video and then it was me. Um, before stepping onto the red dots, I took a deep breath and I told myself it's gonna come out the way it's gonna come out and it's gonna be okay. So I spent the next uh, five minutes stuttering my butt off. Like probably the most severe stuttering uh, experience I've had in a very long time because I was just like that nervous and excited and terrified because you're all alone on the red dot all the lights are pointing in your face you can see maybe two or three rows into the audience and so I had the live audience and this was being you know live streamed to the rest of the company it's like 25,000 people or whatever all, all in all, all in all in that time uh, so I stuttered tremendously but I finished I got a stand ovation went backstage hugged every single person whether it was like my fellow speakers the sound guy the, the mic people like I gave everyone a hug and then I, I had to take a moment for, I took a few a few minutes for myself and I was emotional and I uh, almost shed a couple of tears not gonna lie just because of like 
that was the most, most you no know, tangible thing of like how far I've come in my journey with stuttering. Like 20 year, 18 year old me, 18 a year old me would, would never dream about doing a like TED talk. 21, 22 year old me would have been mad that everyone saw me in that light. Like that, that was my first impression of just like stuttering my butt off. And that's what they knew me as. But I, I didn't care. Like I would have been so mad a few years ago, but I was 26. And I just like celebrated like the biggest thing that I probably ever accomplished. And to this day, it's still one of my proudest accomplishments. Like, like yeah, I stuttered, great, fantastic, whatever. Like I didn't let my stutter prevent me from doing this massive thing. And I did it. I did the damn thing. And that's really all I cared about that day. And wow. then in the afternoon, I just celebrated. I was on this massive high and it was a great day. And I'm so thankful for, for, for that experience. But my advice to you, go on to, to Ted's website. They, they have like, they, they have a list of all of the, the Ted's in, and the, the TEDx events in the area and just apply and do it. I know that that's like the dumbest advice ever. No, it's, it's good. It's good. But just do the damn thing. Apply. Yeah. Like worst case scenario, you don't get it, but there's always next year. Exactly. Best case, you didn't let your stutter hold you back from accomplishing something that you want to do. But yeah. Just, you know, do the damn thing. Apply. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And feel free to the podcast listeners who know, please help me account to it. And I am going to do it. I keep on saying that I keep on going to do it. Like, I, I think I've said it to this one person who I work with. Every single time we have a meeting, like, we both sort of, like, we both want to do things. And, like, we both said we both wanted to do a TED talk. I mean, like, but let's help each other out. And like, we just keep on going, oh, we'll talk about it next session. Like, we just keep on putting it off. Like thinking, this is a scary application. Like you're sort of talking about what you want to talk about. But then it's like, you know what you want to talk about here and just do it. Like the worst they can say is no or not come back to you. And it's like, just try again next year. Mm-hmm. So, like, and that's the worst thing. Like I've been yeah. told no before. You've been told no before, I'm sure. We're going to be told oh, no yeah. again in our lives. Like, if, exactly. that's, the worst thing, if that's the worst thing can, uh, uh, that can happen, then, like, why the hell not do it? Exactly. And I'd... So the pandemic has affected us all in different ways. And I'd love to know how the pandemic has affected your stammer. Pandemic was rough. Um, it was a doozy, uh, both from a stuttering standpoint and from a mental health standpoint for me. Uh, so in the States, we were about a month or so behind y'all in terms of severity. So what our lab did, because, you know, people still needed, you know, transplants during this time. So we divide our lab into teams of two and we worked pretty much seven on seven off. We did that from end of March to July. So that threw me for a loop. I'm a person of routine, I like my routine, I like, I like things that are consistent, and this was anything but. So that threw me for a loop. Uh, my stuttering got worse. And then it was also the fear of, okay, what if I get, what if I get COVID? 
what, what if my parents get COVID? Well, my sister, well, what if this person I love, that person I love, what if someone in my family gets COVID? Okay, then what's going to happen? So I, I internalized that fear and that stress and anxiety that made my stutter worse. Uh, the fact that we that we were were, were wearing masks and are still wearing masks that made it worse because I had to, to speak you know louder as to, to project and I couldn't use you know my my nonverbal communication skills to let people know like I'm okay it's just a stuttering moment everything's fine you couldn't see that so I had to, to speak louder I like lost that, that nonverbal communication. And then people would speak over me more or finish up my senses more for me. Because if I'm in the middle of a block, like I'm not wearing a mask right now. So, you know, so you can see that I'm blocking, but if I'm wearing a mask, you can't see that the fact that I'm blocking. So you think I'm done. So you, you had that. And, and um, everything that I was like, my comfort system all went to Zoom. And I was very uncomfortable with Zoom for the longest time. Because one, you didn't have that, uh, that that connection, that like intimate one-on-one connection, which I, I like, but also I had to watch myself stutter. And for the longest time, that was uncomfortable. And there are moments where like, if I'm uncomfortable watching myself stutter and I'm embarrassed by this, then like, what's the rest of the audience thinking? Now, most of those people knew I was a person who stutters and it wasn't that big of a deal. But I know I care about the fact that I stutter way more than others do. And I don't know if you, if you feel the same way, William, but yeah. like I notice it so much more. Oh, yeah. Like, if, if I'm embarrassed and like everyone else must be embarrassed by it too. So there's that. And then I had to order through like drive through, which were things I avoided like the plague. Yeah. You know, terrible reference now, but I would always avoid drive throughs like pre COVID yeah. because. I didn't want to, you know, pull up and then I'd be on a block and then the person behind the mic would say, oh, we're having technical issues. Can, there's something wrong with our system. Can you pull up to the microphone? Can you pull up to the window? I didn't want that where I knew it's because I was stuttering and I didn't want that have that experience. And so I would just, I would just go inside and get it to go. Because with that way, at least I could see them, you know, in the one-on-one, if I was blocking, I could point to the menu. If I had to, there were, there were ways around it. Whereas with this, it's just me speaking into a box. Now, over the past you know, couple of years, I've gotten way more used to doing Zoom and in order to drive throughs and all that. But yeah, COVID was rough. Those first few months were rough on me. And it took me man, four or five, six months to like get, get used to it. I guess have my stuttering decrease to how it typically is and to get back into a better you know, mental health space because early COVID was not good for, for my mental health either. Um, I did write a piece about this um, for Stama and I can send you that link if you want to put it in, in the show notes afterwards. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, and like it's, so I was surprised how my stammer was affected like working from home and like learning about like how my stammer is different when I'm not socializing as such so like working from home my stammer is completely different to if I've been in the office all day but also like face masks so you realize how much you lip read but also you're just always more conscious but it's a really odd thing because on zoom 
if someone told me if I was talking in front of 100 people on Zoom, would be nervous, but not as nervous as if I was talking in front of 100 people in person. There was something about that sort of mentality on Zoom, like you can't see everyone there. So like you don't, and like, it's really, like, so if you do a media interview virtually, you can't see the presenter. You can only see a blank screen, but you can see yourself. So you're conscious watching yourself stammer, but also you can't see how the other person is reacting to your comments. And it's just a really odd moment of just like how your stammer does triggers in like certain ways, but also like calls, like as I said before, calls I hated with a passion, but now working from home, I have to call my team to talk to them and I, I've learned different techniques. Like it's also it's taught me so much about my stomach and I've used this time of not commuting to London to go to the office. Like these are techniques that I can use. I'm by myself. No one will hear me just repeat the words that I struggle on. And it's just fascinating how every person's been different and how their cell has been affected. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know for me personally, like I would rather speak to 100 people in person because oh, that really? way I can make oh yeah because I can make the eye contact with them yeah and then I can you know feed off of off of you know their energy as opposed to just yeah definitely you know talking to the screen and and you know they know what's going on I know what's going on and everything is good it's just like a better overall thing whereas I'm sitting in my office talking to a camera it's still weird two, yeah two, two years later but I've gotten better at it like I, I definitely want, like it sort of depends on what the thing is. Like if it's the thing that I find hard is that because I'm a dyslexia, dyspraxia, stomach. If something changes to my routine, my brain's going at hundred miles per hour, thinking how do I need to adapt to this new. So I was in the office. We were having a big team meeting, which was going to be virtual, but because of how many people were at the office, they changed it to in-person. And because I had prepared myself for a virtual meeting, I thought, okay, this is fine. And then I said, oh, it's in-person. I was like, oh, 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 no. It was literally just, and then that one and a half hours up until that meeting, I, I was thinking, it's fine, you, you do it virtually, like, but because it was the first time actually doing it, presenting in an in-person meeting with my newfound confidence and my stomach, it was just a really odd experience. Then I was like to my director, did I stomach? Did I stomach? She was like, no. I was like, you, you were less, you came across less nervous than other people presenting there, but it was like, huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So I've got one last question for you to round up this lovely episode. If you could give three pieces of advice to someone who stammers and three pieces of advice to someone who doesn't stammer, what would they be? So first one to a person who like stutters, it's okay to stutter. It's okay to stutter. It's okay to stutter. It's okay to stutter. Second piece would be you're so much more than this. You always were, always are, and always will be. This is just one of the many things that make you uniquely you. It doesn't define you, but, but you define it. And then lastly, it's okay to stutter. Yeah. For my people who like don't stutter, um, we're just like you. It takes us, it just takes us a few, a few extra seconds. It doesn't mean that we're lying or that we're dumb or that we don't know what, what's going on. 
we know what's going on. It just takes a few extra seconds to say what's going on. Um, your attempts at like, oh, did you forget your name? You're not funny. Um, unless a person gives you that permission, don't finish our sentences. And also don't tell us to take a deep breath, slow down, you have all the time in the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I know you mean well, I really do. And it's coming out, coming out of a good place, but those don't help the cause. And lastly, it's okay to stutter. Yeah. And that is a perfect way to run the episode and a fantastic piece of advice. Oh, I forgot to ask you a question that I ask all my guests, but I don't pay you beforehand. When you think of a, per- a famous person who stammers, who do you think of and why? Oh, uh, we'll go with George Springer. He is oh. a baseball player in the States. Don't know what team he plays for. Couldn't tell you. Like, I don't follow baseball at all. I know he played for the Houston Astros, and then he either got traded or, or signed elsewhere. No idea. But uh, he's one of those few famous people who, like, actually you know, stutters in his, in his post-game interviews. And there's been times where he was, he was you know, mic'd up during the games. And you heard him stuttering. Whereas a lot of these other famous people who stutter, you don't ever hear them stuttering. I know everyone's on their own journey with stuttering, but I think if we want to remove the stigmas and taboos associated with stuttering and to normalize it more, we need to, to see and hear stuttering more in our TV series, in our movies, in our music, whatever, whatever. And to have actors and actresses who stutter, like openly stutter in their in their things and not and don't try to hide it or oh i started as a kid which like that's great cool like awesome but i just wish we had like better representation of stuttering in the media but yeah george springer is my is my go-to person cool so james thank you so much for joining me today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and hearing the amazing work that you've been doing with your book your ted talk so thank you for joining me today thank you thank you for having me william and just remember to apply for that. Apply for the TED Talk. Oh, Do I will. And thank you so much to our listeners for listening to this episode. As I mentioned, we've got some really exciting guests coming on, and I'm very excited to see the podcast grow. We've also just launched our new community called Stammer Stories the Community, which is a group for people who stammer from across the world to talk to other people who stammer from other countries. It's a Facebook group where you can talk to others, but also a monthly Zoom session where you can share your stories, but also advice in a brain-based setup. Because as we mentioned, talking to someone with a stammer can sometimes be more than talking to someone who doesn't stammer. So there will be a link in the description for this episode and feel free to, to request to join the group and we would love to see you there. And we are also now on TikTok where we post exciting stats about some of also does a beginner's guide about stammering, which you may find helpful in everyday life, even if you do stammer or even if you don't. But also make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter where we post all our exciting updates and facts. So I'll see you next time in two weeks. Bye.